Well, White Christmas, that classic American movie with Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney, is my family's favorite Christmas movie. We've watched it every Christmas for over 25 years. I guess I should say it was our family's favorite Christmas movie until in-laws started joining the family. One son-in-law who shall remain nameless spurns White Christmas and agitates for his favorite movie and other classics since it's 40 years old, A Christmas Story. He believes that movie should take preeminence. Now, to me, his attempts are like trying to take people out of the kingdom of light and move them into the kingdom of darkness. And I believe Brian should stop. Oops, there I said his name. In any case, on the off chance that you have never seen White Christmas, let me describe the opening scene for you. There's an army unit, World War II. It's Christmas Eve. This unit is preparing to move up, to go into battle the next day. But they have this respite on Christmas Eve, an opportunity to watch a Christmas Eve program on a makeshift stage. Some of the soldiers lean on their rifles and wistfully listen while Bing Crosby croons out, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, apparently lost in their dreams of a Christmas from the past, a Christmas of innocence, a Norman Rockwell, or a Courier and Ives Christmas of peace, where treetops do glisten, and children really do hear sleigh bells in the snow. You can't miss the juxtaposition of dreaming about peace while leaning on a weapon of war. Then suddenly, and unexpectedly, the enemy's bombs begin to fall, and buildings begin to collapse, and the soldiers scatter to take cover. The peace is shattered. Christmas Eve is ruined because a battle must be fought. Now listen, the last thing I want to do is to shatter anyone's Christmas. The last thing I want to do is to send a cold chill over your Christmas warm fuzzies. But I got to tell you, this scene reflects our lives as believers in Christ. We have peace. We can lie down and we can sleep soundly because Christ is. Emmanuel is God, and he's always with us. But in this world, we also have an enemy dropping bombs in our lives in their many and varied forms. I love the warm fuzzies as much as anyone else. But as I've gotten older, I've realized this. Hallmark Christmas movies don't reflect reality. You do know that, don't you? 
Hallmark Christmas movies do not reflect reality. And I realized that the warm fuzzies are based on constantly shifting things. People change. They become different people. People die. Grandma and grandpa's house gets sold and you never get to go to it. Again, the snow doesn't fall as it once did. Sickness strikes. Families no longer get together. It's why people binge the Hallmark movies. Because the minute one is over and the minute that reality starts to appear again, you got to watch another one to distract yourself from reality. And so I don't feel bad this morning for taking away those constantly changing fuzzies if I can replace them with something that does not change. The way the world is right now is the way that Jesus told us it would be. And so our respite from the world is not in our wistful dreams, but in God's reality, in God's truth. The warm fuzzies will not sustain us. Truth will. The truth will always be our tower of refuge because Jesus is the truth. He's always the refuge. Therefore, you and I can have peace in a bomb falling world. You and I can have peace in a bomb falling world. That's the good news of the incarnation of Christmas. And so if you don't think I'm Scrooge, if you would take your Bibles with me and turn to 1 John chapter 3 and also to Genesis chapter 3. I'll help you out with 1 John. It's near the end of the Bible. It's on page 1222 in the Pew Bibles. And I'm going to leave you on your own to find Genesis 3. That's a pretty easy one. But when you found your place in those two passages, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we can hear read together the word of the living God. We'll begin with 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. This is the word of the Lord. Little children... Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God. And now Genesis chapter 3. Verses 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent. Because you have done this. Cursed are you above all livestock. And above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Let's pray together. Father, we need you, as always, when we come to your truth. We thank you that we have you with us through the power of your Spirit. And so now, Spirit of God, be the teacher of your truth 
to our hearts and to our minds and to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I seem to have lost my little fuzzy thing again. I'll try not to pop too much. You know, Satan even has his little bombs, right? (laughs) Make the little thing fall off and then you're distracted. Anyway, though it's not found in a gospel, and though it has no baby or manger or star or shepherds or wise men, this verse in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it's also an Advent or a Christmas verse in its own right. Listen again to what the Apostle John writes. The Son of God appeared. How did he do it? Like this. He miraculously wrapped his infinite, eternal spirit, a spirit of such glory and light that it was unapproachable. Somehow, he wrapped that in flesh, and he came to earth so that we might be able to see him. This is the incarnation, joy to the world. The Lord has come. He has appeared. This verse also puts his appearing into the very real context of the world to which he came. John tells us here the reason the Son of God appeared, and it was not so that we might have warm Christmas fuzzies. No, he appeared because our enemy is constantly dropping bombs in our lives and in this world. Listen to what John writes in the second half. Of verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. To destroy the work of the devil. The baby was born to do battle with the devil. You fill in the blank for me. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from... There you have it, right? To save us all from Satan's power, to rescue us. That's why Jesus came. We might not like the idea of Satan messing up our Christmas, and yet Christmas, the incarnation has no meaning apart from him and his works. And though it galls me to do so, we're going to give extended attention this morning to the devil, also called Satan, because he is our enemy. And as our enemy, he must not be hopelessly feared, but neither should he be ignored. The more we understand him and his ways, the more desperate we'll be for Christ. The more we understand his ways and his motives, the more like the wise men we will be falling on our knees before Jesus in thankfulness that he came to us, that he came for us. The more we understand our enemy and his bombs, the more we will stop trying to live life on our own, under our own steam, and the more often we will run to Christ, our strong tower. And find peace and refuge in him. And so the first question I must ask you is this. 
Do you believe in Satan? Do you believe in the devil? Because you know what? Statistics show us that many people who really believe in Jesus do not believe in a real devil. And if we were being honest, we would all have to admit that it's a little embarrassing to admit that we believe in the devil. It makes us seem a little backward, does it not? A little medieval, a little uneducated. We'd rather people not think that of us. And today, in our day, it's much more vogue. It's much more sophisticated. It's much more erudite to believe that the devil in Scripture is only a symbol for evil, for social injustice, for systematic wrongs that we share corporately and should confess corporately. It's more of a man's inhumanity to man thing than really the devil. And of course, humans do treat others inhumanly. But why? The Apostle John tells us clearly. In this verse, it's the work of the devil. Look again in verse 8. John uses the word devil three times. Clearly, he believes that the devil is a being. And the word, the Greek word that John uses for devil is diabolos, which literally means this. Listen, this is what devil means. One who slanders and separates. Devil means one who slanders and separates. And then notice John takes us back in time. Also in verse 8, he tells us the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And so now we're back to the beginning, aren't we? We're back to the garden. We're back to the serpent that was inhabited by the devil or Satan. And what did he do? Satan threw that serpent slandered God to Eve, called God a liar, implied that God had ill will toward Adam and Eve by withholding something from them that they really needed. And so you know the story. Eve shared the slander with her husband Adam, and together they believed the slander. They acted in light of that slander that they had heard. They ate of the tree of which God said this, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The exact words of Satan's slander were these, you will not surely die. Because Adam and Eve believed the slander, then they were then, in that moment, separated from God. A slanderer and a separator. Now listen, this is the ultimate goal. This is the ultimate work of the devil, and that is to separate us from God. That's what makes our lives a battle. Make no mistake about it, the reason that our enemy drops bombs in our lives is to separate us from the God who created us, who speaks truth to us, who loves us, who wants us for himself. Please see the devil for who he is and his bombs for what they are. The incarnation only makes light, makes sense in 
light of battle and hostility. And so we listen again to John, uh, Genesis 3.15. God says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Enmity simply means a hostile disposition. Hostility exists between Satan, the devil, and without exception, every human being called here the offspring of woman. Every single person that includes you, that includes Jesus. Jesus had no doubt that Satan was real. In real time and in real space, Jesus conversed with the devil in the wilderness. And through his temptation, Satan tried with all his might to separate Jesus from his father. To get Jesus to betray and to not faithfully do the work that he had come to do. And no wonder Satan was desperate. Because Jesus had come to destroy his works. And so Satan tempted with words. And Jesus responded with words. And with his final command, be gone, Satan. Exclamation point. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. We must see life in this world for what it truly is. A battlefield. And we must set our expectations accordingly. It's been one of the saddest parts to me. In now 30 years of pastoral ministry to encounter people who have not seen the devil for who he is. A malice-filled being. Who have not seen his bombs for what they are. Disruptors separators of your relationship with God, who have not seen life for what it really is, a battleground. Our ancient foe seeks to work us woe with the hopes that we will blame all those woes on God. He hopes that we will slander God in our heart and our disappointments and our anger in life. If you are God, you are not good. If you are God, you are not loving. Listen, I know this is true because I'm a pastor. And these words have been spoken in my very own home in the midst of difficult and trying situations. But listen, praise God, the slander was not effective. The enemy's bomb fizzled. It did not separate us from the love of God because of us. No, because of Jesus. Because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Because Jesus is the tower. And because he offers refuge and safety from the bombs. I don't mean to minimize the very real suffering that people experience. Maybe you experience. Or the tragedies that befall people or to offer a pat answer for them 
But I'll say this, herein lies the danger of the hallmark Christmas. You and I begin to think that's the way the world is supposed to be. The way we deserve it to be. And then we believe that falling bombs have no place in that world. And yet God says enmity, hostility between Satan and those created in God's image. Satan is enraged because of everything that he has lost. Jonathan Edwards is considered by most people to be the best and most significant theologian ever produced in America. And he wrote extensively about Satan. And I don't have time to read the verses or to exegete the verses that he uses, but Jonathan Edwards exegeted them. And as a result, here are just some of the things that he wrote about Satan. He says that he was the chief of all the angels, of the greatest natural capacity, strength, and wisdom, and highest in honor and dignity, the brightest of all those stars. He also believes that the angels were given charge of ministering to humans, and that Satan, the highest angel, believed that humans were of a lower order. And so Edwards writes that Satan, being the archangel, one of the highest of angels, could not bear it, thought it below him, and a great debasing of him to care for us. And so he conceived rebellion against the Almighty and drew away a vast company of the heavenly hosts with him. Look, I didn't read those writings of Edwards for us to debate. But because Jesus himself said in Luke 10, I saw Satan fall. At the end of the day, the fall of Satan is shrouded in a bit of a mystery. But to think about that fall as Edwards did might help give us some understanding of the rage that our enemy feels over all that he had lost, over the fact that in the end he loses completely. And misery loves company. And so Satan wants to take us down with him. But don't fear. Let me read this now from from, um, R.C. Sproul. Satan is a creature. He's finite and limited. He is subordinate to God. And this is why Luther calls him God's devil. Christianity never embraces an ultimate dualism of equal and opposite power. Okay, get that straight. We're not talking about equal powers, God against Satan, who's equally power. No, Satan is stronger than men, but no match for God. He has no divine attributes. His knowledge may exceed ours, but he's not omniscient. His strength may be greater than ours, but he is not omnipotent. He may have a wider sphere of influence than we have, but he is not omnipresent. The devil is real. He is stronger than you or me, 
but he's no match for God. His bombs are real. He seeks to slander God to you and separate you from God. To fail to believe in him is to discount the one who is attempting to destroy you. And it's to leave yourself unprepared for his attacks. And it's to find yourself exposed on a barren field without a tree or a rock or anything for cover. And yet the truth is, you and I belong in the tower, don't we? In Christ. The one who appeared so that you and I can be safe in him. In light of the enmity that Satan has for us. Listen to this prayer that Jesus prayed in the upper room before he prepares to leave this world in which he had appeared by way of the cross. Jesus prays, Father, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, keep them, keep them. In your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them. In your name, which you have given me, I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost. Don't let the enemy deceive you. The Lord Jesus loves you. His heart is to guard you and to keep you. That's why he went to the cross for you. And on the cross, he destroyed forever the work of Satan. And on the cross, the enemy's bomb that we fear the most, the the bomb before which we cower the most, is the bomb of death. But on the cross, it fizzles. Death is rendered powerless by the cross of Christ, because Jesus loves you and me, and because he has a heart to guard us and to keep us. I think it's always better to see things as they are, instead of how we wish them to be. I know we all want a silent night. I know we want all to be calm and all to be bright, and those are God-given longings, but guess what? They've got to wait for heaven. For now, Christ has come to be our refuge our tower, our protection, our peace. When bombs are falling, Christmas will only ever be Christmas when you find your shelter in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for showing your heart to us, your love for us, your desire to guard and to keep us Help us to see you as our tower, our stronghold, and to flee to you every day of our lives, especially when the bombs are falling. Guard us, protect us, we pray in your name.